Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Uh, Would you pray with me? Gracious God, our Father, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry this morning for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the true bread of heaven. Amen. Bacon-wrapped, deep-fried filet mignon. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Battered in deep-fried pineapple on a stick. A burrito filled with chicken, ramen, and funyuns. Caramel crack fries. Fries dipped in cinnamon sugar, drizzled with caramel, whipped cream, and fruity pebbles. Or lasagna nachos. Deep-fried pieces of lasagna noodles doused in marinara sauce topped with a blanket of cheese. This is fair food, okay? Glorious, delicious, fair food. Now, we went to the fair yesterday, and I did try some of it. I I tried the chicken ramen burrito. Um, It was okay, and a delicious cinnamon roll, and it was good. It was good, but about an hour after eating it, I felt terrible. Uh, I, I, I felt sluggish. I mean, I could literally feel my body going into a sugar carb induced coma. I mean, sluggish and just dehydrated from all the salt and just everything. Well, why? I mean, simple. Our bodies were not made to consume food like that. Uh, We can do it in small amounts, but uh, when we eat junk food, we feel like junk. I mean, it's just simple science. It tastes good, but it wreaked havoc on my body. It's, It's the same thing if you try to fuel like a really expensive racing car with normal gas. It might work for a little bit, but it won't run right, and eventually the engine will just gunk up and die. It's the same thing. Why? You have to fuel it with the right stuff. And our Christian lives are no different. Well, what is the fuel? The fuel is what we believe about God, who we believe God is, the character of God. And if we try to live our Christian lives with with the wrong fuel, It's not pretty. It it doesn't work right. And if we try to live our Christian life with a wrong understanding of who God is, it just doesn't work. If we try to fuel our prayer life, or if we try to fuel our hopefulness with bad theology, wrong ideas about God, it basically ends up like junk. It might run for a while, kind of, but not right, and eventually it's going to give out because it's based on falsehood. See, just like it's critical to fuel our bodies with the right food and our cars with the right fuel, it's critical to fuel our Christian lives with truth, with a true understanding of who God is, with who he's revealed himself to be in his word. And it's even more critical to fuel, well, the same thing, to fuel our, our minds with biblical understanding of who God is. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to continue to examine and learn from Solomon And we're going to see that he's a man with many faults. We'll mostly look at that in a couple weeks. But he is a man who will evidence for us this morning what a correctly fueled prayer life looks like. 
what a correctly fueled hope looks like because he has a correct understanding of who God is. And so this morning, we're going to pick right up in our story where we left off last week. So last week, we saw the construction of Solomon's great temple. And that's exactly where it picks up. So kind of imagine it like a movie. Picture it in your mind's eye as I describe the scene. So, so the temple is finished. All the gold, all the, the uh, decorations, everything is finished. And Solomon and the priests have just brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. They've placed it inside. They're sacrificing animals the whole time. It's a huge deal. It's a nationwide event. And so Solomon has gathered the entire nation to the temple uh, for a dedication ceremony. And uh, he's just put the ark in. Remember, we saw last week that when they did that, a cloud descended into the Holy of Holies. And the presence of God was so strong that the priests could not stand to minister and they were pushed out of the temple. Now, this is a good sign. Uh, this signal that God approved of the temple and would dwell amongst his people. And so now, kind of picture that scene. The camera pans to Solomon. The king standing nearby when all of this happened, the people are gathered, a large crowd outside the temple, and all the nation's eyes are on the king. What will he say? I mean, obviously at a dedication ceremony, it's on him to, to give a speech or maybe or give a prayer. So what will he say? What will he do? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And what we're going to see is that Solomon simply leads the people in worship. He preaches kind of two mini sermons. He leads a prayer and then he sacrifices some animals and throws a party, a feast for the kingdom. And what we're going to focus on today is the content of his little mini sermons and of the prayer that he offers to God. Because what Solomon proclaims to the people and what he prays to God is extremely important and relevant for our lives. Because it teaches us about who God is and it teaches us about prayer. And by hearing Solomon's uh, exhortation and by hearing his prayers this morning we ourselves will learn what is the true fuel for our prayer and our hope. So with that, would you turn with me to Solomon's first mini-sermon, starting in 1 Kings 8.12. 1 Kings 8.12. Now here's what we're going to see. And Solomon's point of this little mini-sermon before his prayer is simple. God is worthy to be praised. God is worthy to be praised. So listen, listen to the words as he begins. In 1 Kings 8:12, it says, Then Solomon said, So the cloud has just descended. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. So it appears already that Solomon understood scripture. He knew his, his Old Testament, if you will. Um, because he's referencing what had happened before in Israel's history. When Moses had built the tabernacle, the same thing had happened. God had descended in a cloud. And just before we even continue, th this is amazing. You see, God's full glory was concealed from the Old Testament saints. But you see, the New Testament says that when we behold Jesus Christ, we see the unveiled glory of God, Jesus himself. So just before we even move on, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the glory of God in a way that many people throughout history, many of God's people have not. Just think of that this morning. But let's continue. So it says then, continuing on in verse 13, then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while the assembly of Israel stood. And so he says to the people of Israel, here's what he says, blessed be the Lord, 
the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David, my father, saying, this is what God said, since that day that I brought my people, Israel, out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people, Israel. Now it was in the heart of David to build my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Now this is Solomon speaking again. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. So Solomon exhorts the people. And do you hear his emphasis? God is worthy to be praised. Why? Because of his faithfulness to the promises that he has made. See, the temple is finally finished and Solomon stands up before the people of Israel and rehearses to them all of the promises that God has made and all of the ways in which he's fulfilled them. He promised David a temple. The temple has been built. He promised David that his son would sit on the throne. Solomon now sits on the throne. And even going back in that, he promised his people that he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. And he did. And we saw that last week. God does what he says he will do. God fulfills all of his promises. But look at at how great of length Solomon is going to to try to emphasize this. Look at the language he's using. I mean, he's trying to pound this truth into the hearts of the Israelites. Look at verse 15. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father. God promised with his mouth and he fulfilled it with his hands. In other words, God doesn't make empty promises. He promised David and he fulfilled it. When he speaks, he accomplishes it. Same thing in verse 20. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. And he continues on. As he has promised. As the Lord has promised. It's like Solomon. We get it. We get it. God has fulfilled his promises. But he goes on. He goes on. And look how he finishes in verse 21. There I have provided a place for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, he says, don't forget that at the center of this temple, at the center of the mercy seat between the two cherubim is a golden box, the ark, the ark of the covenant. And inside the ark of the covenant is the very covenant that God had made with our fathers, the promise that God had made with our fathers. So this entire temple complex as glorious as it is, is all centered around a covenant, a promise. And he says, God is faithful. God is faithful. God does what he says. And so the Israelites gathered there today, Solomon says, you need to get this into your brain and into your heart, that God is faithful. But why the emphasis? I mean, it seems overemphasized, but we have to understand that that Solomon is getting at this because he knows that the people of Israel are going to go through some really dark times. They have been through dark times before and they're going to continue. And if you've read the book of 1st and 2nd Kings, you know exactly what's going to happen. The kingdom will eventually be destroyed and the people are to remember that even in 
all of this, even when nothing looks right in the world, God is still faithful and God is still working to fulfill his promises. And those times, the Israelites will need to cling to God's faithfulness when nothing else is left. And we all need this reminder. We were reminded of this last week, and Solomon reminds us again this week, God is faithful. What God promises, he fulfills. And now Solomon turns his attention to God. So he's, he's kind of given his little mini-sermon to the people, and now he begins to pray. And so here's what he says. He directed his words to God. Look at verse 22. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. Then Solomon, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand. You have fulfilled it to this day. See, more, this is more promise language, more praise language. He's emphasizing the same things now in a prayer. And essentially what he's saying is, God, you are incomparable. There is no one who can compare to you. Why? Because of how faithful you are. Solomon declares that one of the attributes that makes God unique among all the gods of the world, among all the religions of the world, is God's faithfulness. He never makes a promise he doesn't keep. And why is God like this? Well, verse 23 tells us, because of his steadfast love. Another way you could translate that is because of his covenantal love, his promised love. God is unique. He's incomparable because he's faithful to us. And why is he faithful? Because he loves us with a steadfast, immovable, covenantal love. See, Christian, we worship the same God that Solomon did. You realize that as much as Solomon praised God for his faithfulness and his covenantal love, we have even greater reason because we have a greater covenant. A new covenant made not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of Christ himself. God never failed the Israelites. He fulfilled every promise to them. And God will not abandon you either. He will be faithful. But, but this also has implication to how we relate to God. And this is very important. You see, because God, like Solomon says, is incomparable in his faithfulness. But this has a specific meaning in the context of ancient Israel. It means that the God of Israel is not like all the other gods that are running around during his time. And if you study what these gods are like in their stories, it's pretty it, you be, it becomes clear very quickly that there's a major difference. You see, these pagan gods were awful. They were fickle. They were flaky. They changed their minds, uh, always trying to take advantage of the humans. The humans didn't really even like them. They worshipped them because they were scared of them. Uh, and the humans were never sure what these pagan gods were going to do. Um, there's a great example of this in the story. There's an ancient story called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, you may be familiar with it. It comes from around the same time as, as uh, the, the Israelites. And in the story, Gilgamesh is victorious in battle uh, at, at one point. And one of the goddesses, Ishtar, comes and wants to marry him. She proposes marriage to Gilgamesh. And I mean, you might think kind of, wow, a goddess. I mean, that, okay. But Gilgamesh rejects her proposal because he's like, I don't want anything to do with you because I know what you did to your last husband. Uh, she turned him into a bird or something and sent him off into some horrible place. And that's, and that's just an illustration of the pagan gods were not good. They were not faithful. And so 
Gilgamesh says, I don't even want to marry you because I know how unfaithful you are. So God stands incomparable amongst the other religions in his faithfulness. See, this is also why in pagan religion, there's all sorts of rituals and magic and things like that. These, all these rituals and magic are designed to try to convince the gods to get on your side. But you see, the difference is this. Christian, you don't have to convince God to be on your side. You don't have to convince God to try to trick God to remain faithful to you. You don't, in fact, you, you can't convince God to love you. God is faithful simply because it is who he is. He's that good. But even in the midst of that, sometimes we, we act and we think like pagans, right? We think, well, maybe if I read my Bible more, God will give me a husband or a wife. Or, or maybe if I go to church more, God will let me get that job that I really have been wanting. Or, dang it, I sinned, so God's probably mad, so I don't know, I, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to go to church this morning. I'll, I'll just wait. You know what I mean? But all these ideas, these are pagan ideas. These are pagan ways of relating with God, acting like he's fickle like he's changing, like his, his view of you is always moving. That's not who God is. God is faithful. You don't have to convince him to be. You don't have to try to do enough good stuff to try to make him faithful, to try to make him love you. In fact, you can't. If you're in Christ, God is on your side, and he is working all things for your good. There is no question about that. That is the reason he is so amazing. That is the reason Solomon praises God and one of the many reasons God is worthy to be praised because he's faithful. He's unchanging. He's not like the other gods. And so how does this impact our life? What should this lead us to do? How should this instruct us? Well, as Solomon continues his prayer, we see that God's faithfulness is the fuel for our prayerfulness. God's faithfulness is the fuel for our prayerfulness. God's faithfulness, in other words, is the basis or the foundation, the motivation for our prayers. God's promises are the building blocks of our prayers. In other words, to put it simply, because we know God will do what he promised, we can take those promises and build our prayers on them. So let's watch Solomon do exactly that. Look at him continue in 1 Kings 8.25. He says, Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. So do you see the turn? Do you see his logic? God, you've been faithful in the past. Continue to be faithful to those promises now. You've said that you would do this, God. Now do it. Confirm it. Let it be so. Continue to uphold your word. You see, the faithfulness of God is his fuel for prayer. It's the reason that he prays. It's his motivation. And this is a big prayer because Solomon is praying that the Davidic line, his, his line of descendants, going back to David, will last forever. Okay, that was what God promised David. And so Solomon says, okay, God, do it. That's what I want to see. Now think about what that means. That means that David's line must continue forever. It means that they must continue to have sons or else the family will die out. It means that no foreign power can come in and unseat the king and kill all the, the men, which is normal during that day. That can't happen. Otherwise, the line would be wiped out. It's going to take a lot, but Solomon boldly prays this. Why? God has promised it and God can do it. 
And what's so amazing is that Solomon never even got a chance to see this promise fulfilled. I mean, that's how many prayers are in the Bible. Moses never got to see the promised land. Well, he saw it, but he didn't get to go in it. But we have seen these promises fulfilled. The New Testament repeatedly makes the point that Jesus is the son of David by descent. The Gospel of Matthew spends the first chapter proving that Jesus descended from David. So the Davidic line had lasted all the way up until the time of Christ. And if you read the book of 1 and 2 Kings, that's part of the drama is, will the Davidic heir survive? There's times where it's down to one person, but it, per- it, it perseveres. In Revelation, the last book of scripture, in the last chapter of the Bible, ends with some of these words. I think it's on the screen. Jesus says this, I, Jesus, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. You see, we've seen the fruit. This is the fruit and the answer for Solomon's prayer. Jesus Christ himself, the eternal Davidic king. Because Solomon knew God, because he had a right understanding of who he was, he was able to fuel his prayers with God's promises. God's faithfulness fueled Solomon's prayerfulness. But what else can we learn from it? Well, think about it this way. Solomon gives God reasons to answer his prayers. I I, I was thinking about that this week. It's, It's amazing. Do you ever give God reasons to answer your prayers? I mean, think about it. Do you just pray, God, please do this. Heal this person. Get me this job. Save me this person. Or do you give God reasons? Do you reason with God? And I I think a lot of times I just pray without thinking about it too much. But think about this this morning. Consider this with me. And next time you pray, this morning, this afternoon, tonight, give God some reasons to answer your prayers. And and it's not to try to, again, convince God or trick God into being on your side, but what it does is it forces you to think about why you're praying for what you're praying for. It forces you to, it exposes your motivation. And it exposes what you really want and why you want it. And, and frankly, I think this is a more biblical way to pray. There's a couple of examples of this. There's a lot, but just a couple. In Psalm 6, and, and once you're kind of attuned to this, you'll see it everywhere in Scripture. Psalm 6, verses 4 and 5, listen to the psalmist pray. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? The request, okay, deliver my life, save my life. But he gives a reason. God, because of your, your covenantal love, your steadfast love, and how am I going to praise you if I'm dead? That's, that's the logic King David uses, right? It's a request and a reason. Look at Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. So the request, God bless our nation, bless the people of Israel, be gracious to us. May we be fruitful. But why? So that everyone on earth will know how amazing you are, how good you are. So do you see, be giving the reason why they're praying, it's the glory of God. And that exposes why they're praying for what they're praying for. Now, how might this look for us? Well, it's pretty similar. Father, please save my friends so that your mercy and power will be displayed to all who know them. Father, please help me to get this new job so that I can have enough money to be generous to those around me. Father, please save my children so that they may grow up into powerful kingdom workers who greatly glorify you in all that they do. Father, give me strength 
to fight this sin infecting my life, for I know that my sanctification is your will, and I desire to be like Christ. See, giving God these, these reasons helps align our heart to pray with true and right motivation. So think about it. Think about what you pray for and think about why. And give God reasons for why you pray. You see, God, Solomon did this because he knew that God was faithful and that God, his faithfulness fueled his prayer. But it also helps us from, it also prevents us from praying for things that God hasn't promised. I mean, God is faithful to his promises, but uh, he's not at your beck and call to do whatever you want him to do. God is not obligated to fulfill promises he never made. I'm reminded of a story of the first pilgrims. And uh, the pilgrims had established a a peaceful relationship with the native peoples. Um, The following generation, though, there was a lot of war between the pilgrims and the the Native Americans. Uh, One of these is called King Philip's War. happened in 1675 and lasted about 14 months. And in March of 1676, a group of nearly 1,500 Native Americans attacked a village in New England. Nathaniel Philbrick, an author, writes this. Listen to this. As the inhabitants watched from their garrisons, so from their forts, 40 houses, 30 barns, and two mills went up in flames. Only one person was killed, a man who believed that as long as he continued reading the Bible, no harm would come to him. Refusing to abandon his home, he was found shot to death in his chair, the Bible still in his hands. You see, God has not promised to protect you from physical harm if you're reading your Bible. This man was believing God for a promise that God never made. And in the same way, God is not obligated to promises that he never made. So don't be like this guy. See, it's, it's okay to pray for things that God hasn't promised, but realize that God is under no obligation to give us those things. God has not promised us material wealth. God has not promised us ease. God has not promised us safety, at least not in this life. God has not promised us the American dream. God has not promised a husband, a wife. God has not promised the perfect job or whatever it may be. But God has promised you Christ himself, eternal life. And the list of these great promises that God has given to us in Christ is too long and too glorious to even look at right now. But take up the scriptures, read them, discover for yourself the great promises of God and cry out to him to fulfill them. Let God's faithfulness fuel your prayerfulness. Build your prayers on the promises of God. Now at this point, Solomon's prayer transitions uh, and he begins to ask God for things. And it's almost as if at this point, Solomon thinks, who am I to even offer prayer to God, creator of heaven and earth? You know, you know what I mean? Have you ever thought that while praying? Like, what am I even doing? Anyway, so Solomon transitions. And from this, the rest of his prayer, there's one singular emphasis. God's mercy is the fuel for our hope. God's mercy is the fuel for our hope. In other words, the only reason that Solomon or we have hope in anything in this life is based solely on God's mercy, on his grace. Our hope can't be based in any way on ourselves, but solely on God's mercy. We'll see this as Solomon continues to pray. Look at 1 Kings 8, 27. It says this, but God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open, 
night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. You hear the shift. Basically, Solomon is saying, God, please listen to us. Listen to our plea. Listen to our, our cry for forgiveness. And his word choice is instructive. This word plea is used multiple times throughout this whole section. And in the original Hebrew, it denotes a desperate, urgent request for mercy. A desperate, urgent request for mercy in dire situations. A a cry from, from a subordinate to one who has authority. Please, please be merciful. Solomon has gone from praying to pleading with God. Why? Because he correctly understands who God is and who we are. He understands that Israel is going to screw up this entire covenant. He understands that they need God's mercy or they are done for. He understands that if David's line is going to continue, that it's going to continue solely by the mercy and grace of God in spite of their disobedience. Their only hope is for God to be merciful to them. Now, the rest of Solomon's prayer is long. We're not going to read every verse, but here's what he does. He makes seven requests, seven petitions. In other words, he prays for seven things. Seven situations that might happen to the kingdom of Israel. And in each situation, he, pray, he pleads that God would be merciful. And these situations are taken from what we read earlier this morning in Leviticus 26. Uh, in Deuteronomy 28, you see a similar list. Because God had held out for Israel on that day. Look, here's what's going to happen if you obey. Blessing upon blessing. Here's what's going to happen if you disobey. Cursing upon cursing. And so Solomon takes those curses and basically says, God, we're going to sin and we're gonna, those are going to end up happening to us. But in that, please be merciful. And when we repent, receive us back and forgive us. Solomon pleads for mercy. The formula is simple. When we sin and you bring discipline, when we repent, be merciful. Forgive us, Father. He prays for justice. He prays against defeat in battle. He prays against famine. He prays against pestilence. He prays for the foreigner. He prays for victory in battle. And ultimately, he prays for hope after they've already screwed it up. So let's take a look at Solomon's last prayer, though. His last petition. So so he's prayed for all these situations. But this, this last one is the worst case scenario. Exile. The people of Israel being exiled out of the land. So they had just gotten established and Solomon's already praying, okay, uh, if we go into exile because we're so bad, God, please be merciful to us. And so he prays. And take note of how God's mercy fuels Solomon's prayer here. Look at 1 Kings 8, 46. His last request, he says, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. In other words, it's going to happen, Father. And you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave them to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carry them captive that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. 
Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people, Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. You see, he says, God, when we stray, have mercy upon us. God, if we have to live by all those curses, there's no hope. But you see, Solomon knew that God is merciful. And so that fuels his hope. And he goes to God in prayer and Solomon was right. Every single situation that he prays for here in this prayer happens in the book of 1 and 2 Kings. Famine comes upon the land, defeat, pestilence. Foreigners are seeking God, battle and exile, all because of the Israelites' sin. But in all of it, God is merciful to his people. God continually rescues them. God restores them. God forgives them. Why? Because God is merciful. Solomon knew this and it fueled his hope. It fueled his prayer. And God's faithfulness alike fueled Solomon's prayers. And so Solomon ends this great temple dedication with another mini-sermon. And it's very similar to the first. We're not going to go over it. But he again exhorts the people, trust in this God because he is faithful. Whether there's famine, whether there's defeat, whether there's exile, in the midst of all of it, trust in God. He's faithful. Cry out to him for mercy. He'll hear you. He again encourages them in this last uh, exhortation, not one word has failed of all his good promise. And he gives them exhortation. So walk with God. Let your heart be truly towards him. And then like a good king, he throws a party, a feast, a celebration of God's faithfulness up until this point and a celebration of God's faithfulness for the future. So my question for you this morning is this, do you understand the faithfulness of God? Do you understand God's mercy? Do you know God's faithfulness and his mercy? Solomon did, and he only had a tiny sliver of the beautiful revelation that we have today contained in the scripture. Christian, the ultimate expression of God's faithfulness and God's mercy has been shown to us in the cross of Christ. Because in this life, in in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, Jesus Christ answered and fulfilled all the prayers of the Old Testament saints for God to rescue them. And in his future kingdom, he will bring it all to fruition. Jesus is a living, breathing picture of God's faithfulness. And Jesus is a living, breathing picture of God's mercy. And I I know that some of you here today are doubting God's plan for your life and his faithfulness to you this morning. Maybe it's a dark time, but brothers and sisters, banish that thought from your mind. God has given his very son for you. He will not abandon you. He will not withhold any good gift from you. He is working all things for your good. Christian, you're headed for glory. There's no doubt about that. So in the darkest seasons, fuel your prayers with God's faithfulness. Fuel your hope with God's mercy. Pour through the scriptures to find every promise that you can and pray for God to fulfill it. And look to Christ, the ultimate proof of God's faithfulness. And for all of us here struggling with sin, God's mercy is the fuel for our hope. In our battle with sin, sometimes it feels so hopeless, but we look to God's mercy. We cry out to him for mercy and we know that in Christ, he hears us because we know 
that Christ became a curse for us. You see, he took the punishment for us. No sin is beyond the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And so, Christian, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the promise of God. So feel your hope. Feel your prayers with the mercy and faithfulness of God. Cast yourself, cast your burdens upon Christ. You see, Solomon was Israel's advocate before God. He prayed for them, but we have a better advocate before God, a better intercessor, Christ himself, the Son of God himself, never ceasing to pray and make intercession before us, the Bible teaches us. So keep going. Keep reminding yourself of the mercy of God. Keep looking to Christ and keep remembering that God's love for us, his faithfulness to us is not conditioned on how good we can be, on how many quiet times we can have, how many prayers we can offer. It's based in his own character because that's who he is. And you see, Solomon makes it clear in his last prayer that every person is sinful, sinful and desperately in need of the mercy and forgiveness of God. But let me be clear, this mercy is only found in Christ Jesus. The mercy of God is only given to those who repent, just like Solomon said, and turn from their sin and put their hope in Christ Jesus, put their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe there are some of you here this morning who have never done that. You're not trusting in Christ. You're living in sin. Well, my plea for you this morning is, is turn. Turn from your sin. Turn from your life of hopelessness. Put your faith in Christ. Cry out to him for mercy and he will save you. Come to Christ and receive new life, eternal life this morning. Why would you die in your sins? Why would you reject the mercy of a good God? He offers you forgiveness if you will simply come. You see, Solomon had said that, that all sin, and he based his hope on the mercy of God. The Apostle Paul makes the exact same statement. And in Romans 3, he gives full expression to Christ as the hope for mercy. Listen to the words of Romans 3, 21. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But look where Paul takes this. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. In other words, Christ soaked up all the curses that we read in Leviticus to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Christian, the faithfulness and mercy of God on display for you in Christ Jesus. Let it fuel your prayers. Let it fuel your hope. Would you take that to heart this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Lord, it's, it's amazing to stand here this morning with your scriptures in our hand and gaze at the glorious promises you made and the glorious promises you have fulfilled. And Father, we, we look at that and we worship you for your faithfulness, Lord. And we look ahead to all the promises you have made that have not yet been fulfilled, Lord. And we are excited to see them come to fruition, Lord. And we hope in you. And we know that our hope is based not on a wishful thought, but on the very character of our God. 
the very God who created the universe. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that this morning. We rejoice in your mercy. We rejoice in your faithfulness, Lord, for we know that in and of ourselves we are not worthy, but you've, you've poured out your grace and mercy upon us, Lord, and made us worthy through the blood of your very own Son and filled us with your Spirit, making us into temples ourselves. Lord, we are so thankful for that. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you. Maybe they're hearing this for the first time. Maybe they've heard it before, but they've rejected it. Father, would you show them your glory, the face of your son, Jesus Christ? Would you reveal to them the beauty of your gospel? Would you pour out your mercy on them this morning? Lord, we worship you. We declare your majesty. Father, we pray to you in the name of Christ Jesus, our intercessor, our savior, and our Lord. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.